This audio is a presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com. If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. John 8, and we will begin at verse 31, and we will read the remainder of the chapter through verse 59. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inerrant and inspired word. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free... You shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear, because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory, There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. 
Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word this evening, I pray that you would ready our hearts and minds to receive it, that we would know the truth concerning your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one greater than Abraham who has come, the one who Abraham looked to and rejoiced to see. Pray that we would have the hope and the confidence and the salvation that only comes through your gospel, and that we would be those who hear and keep your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we continue this week looking at Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees in John 8. We saw last week that Jesus revealed himself as the light of the world, which was rejected by most, but received by some there in that crowd. Now, this week we see the continuing conflict, the continuing disputation. We see that the Pharisees um, after the previous discussion, they essentially appeal to their status as descendants of Abraham, and that this puts them at odds with Christ. Now, it should be clear, as we just saw this morning in Genesis 17, and have seen in the other chapters leading up to that, that there is nothing in Abraham that is at odds with Christ. Abraham knew Christ and anticipated Christ through the types and shadows. Just as we saw this morning, the sign of circumcision given to him, as just one example, was full of gospel significance, pointing directly to Christ and his work. But the Pharisees missed this completely. They cannot and will not see it. They are so set on preserving their own ways and their own will that they will use the very things that should have shown forth Christ to them as a reason to reject Christ and oppose him. And so we look at this confrontation at the end of John 8 tonight in three points. First, we see autonomy in verses 31 through 38. The Pharisees will assert their freedom, their independence, and yet in doing so, they betray their bondage and misery. Second, we see ancestry in verses 39 through 47. The Pharisees will then seek refuge in their relation to Abraham. But in doing so, they show that they have missed what that is really all about. And in third, we see authority, as we have so often in verses 48 through 59 tonight. The Pharisees try to exercise their authority over Jesus, but in doing so, they expose themselves as powerless, while Jesus has the very power of God over time and over life and death itself. So again, we have autonomy, ancestry, and authority. First, we see autonomy in verses 31 through 38. 
At the end of last week's text, we saw that some of the Jews gathered at the temple did believe in Jesus. And Jesus responds here to their belief. He prefaces with, if you abide in my word. This is a condition. They have heard his word and believed it. Now they have done this only because the Spirit has moved in them and given them the ability to receive this word. But they are to abide. They are to remain in his word. Now how does this happen? Well, it is a condition, but God grants the ability to fulfill it. It is the golden chain of redemption in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. The God who begins the work in his people brings it through to completion, to eternal life. Those who remain in the word do so unto eternal life. Now those who do not remain in the word demonstrate by their actions that they do not have this true saving faith. To use Jesus' parable of the sower elsewhere, some seeds fall into the good soil and grow up to maturity, but other seeds fall into other things, and some may even appear well for a time, but there is no life in them ultimately. So what happens, what comes to those who abide in the word? Well, first, we see that they are Jesus' disciples. They are those who follow him. They are numbered among his people. They are the ones who hear his word and receive it and learn from it. They are taught by him. But this not only brings learning and knowledge, it brings freedom. Now, this talk of freedom that Jesus mentions here in verse 32, that Knowing the truth shall make them free, it provokes a very strong response. Now the text says, they answered him. But who are they? It might look at first glance that it's talking to those Jews who just believed in him, and it would seem kind of disjointed. But I think based on the response given here, that the they is really just the crowd at large, and particularly the Pharisees, particularly those who are opposing Jesus. Because it sounds like those before really did believe, but here is the response of those who do not. And so the opposing response is this. They say, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Now this statement, among other things, is simply not true. They are Abraham's natural biological descendants. That much is true. But this part about being in bondage, this part about being in captivity is absurd. Abraham's descendants were in captivity many times. Abraham lived before Moses, and after Abraham, the people went into Egypt, where they were eventually enslaved. Many times throughout the age of the kingdom of Israel and Judah, they would be oppressed. They would be captured. They would be subjugated by foreign powers. We saw an example of this when we were looking at 1 Samuel a few months ago. The Philistines for a time occupied and enslaved Israel. Later on, the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered and enslaved by the Assyrians, never to return. The southern kingdom, Judah, went into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And then after that even, there's continued enslavement to the Persians and later to the Greeks and on and on it goes. And then by the time they come to Jesus, they are enslaved to Rome. 
So even then and there, if they're not talking about history, if they're just talking about themselves and their lives, they are at this very moment in which they are talking to Jesus, unoccupied and enslaved people. They were not free. They had a completely erroneous conception of themselves. But even to talk about their historical errors is to miss the point. The Jews think that Jesus is talking about freedom from some kind of physical bondage, which they incorrectly declare that they have never had. But Jesus is talking about spiritual bondage. He makes this clear in verse 34. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Sin is bondage. Sin is slavery. To be in Adam, to be given over to sin is to be bound, it is to be enslaved, it is the opposite of freedom. Much of the discourse in our day concerns issues of social justice and slavery past and present, but the greatest and most pervasive slavery that exists in this world is the slavery that no one really wants to talk about, and that is slavery to sin. And this is the slavery that all of fallen and sinful humanity are subject to. So many like these Pharisees declare, we are free, when they are quite the opposite. We live in a day that prizes liberation, throwing off the perceived shackles of the past, traditions, old, outdated morals and values, and everyone just living their own truth. But friends, this is not freedom. This is to plunge deeper and deeper into slavery. There is no freedom in this radical autonomy and the sexual revolution and the other revolutions we've seen and the chaos that they have brought. There's no freedom in any of that. We cannot and are not made, we are not meant to live as a law unto ourselves. There is no freedom in a life of hedonism where we live without responsibility to anyone else. Burn whatever bridges do not conform to our own vision of our own lives. And there is no freedom, there is no liberty in compromising with the world in its ways and works. All of these things are slavery. All of these things are bondage and misery and death. But this is not merely a bondage that affects this life. Jesus makes this clear in verse 35. A slave does not abide in the house forever. Slaves are not part of the family. Slaves come and go. There are those who are slaves to sin, even though they might outwardly appear to belong to God. They might on the outside look like Abraham's children, just as we talked about this morning but they are not his, and they will not remain. You can think of Ishmael again. He received all the outward and visible things of the covenant for a time, but his place was outside. Those who are enslaved to sin face nothing but death and eternal suffering and condemnation. That's it. That's the truth. If I were to say otherwise, if I said anything else, I would be lying. What ultimately determines one's slavery or freedom is not anything earthly. It's not any dismantling of worldly systems of alleged oppression or any other acts of this world reforms to laws or lifestyles. No, freedom or slavery in the truest sense rests on one's relation to Christ. 
Because in verse 35, those who are slaves to sin get cast out. But there is another way in verse 36. If the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. If you believe in Christ, if you abide in Christ, if the Spirit makes His Word effectual in your heart unto salvation, you will be free. You will not be a slave. You will be a son. You will be an heir. You will have a status in the family and the people of Abraham who are the people of Abraham's God, and that status cannot be revoked. Jesus applies this truth to the crowd in verses 37 and 38. They are Abraham's descendants, physically speaking, but spiritually they are slaves. They spiritually have another father. We'll hear more about that here in a moment. And this is proven by their relation to Christ. The true children of Abraham would love and honor and serve and worship Christ. But these Pharisees seek to kill him. The proof is in the pudding. But they seek to kill Christ. They rebel against God's word because Christ's word has no place in them. How many in our day claim to be God's people, claim to be Christians, yet live lives more consistent with the spirit of the age, rejecting God's word and its validity and authority in their lives? Their place is not among the children of Abraham, but among the children of wrath, because those who belong to Christ heed his word. Those who insist on their autonomy and persist in rebellion, do not belong to him, and there will come a day when they are told to depart. But this now brings us to our second point, which is ancestry, in verses 39 through 47. So the Pharisees do not accept Jesus' declaration. They insist that Abraham is their father. Now again, biologically and historically, it is true. But Jesus gives them the true criteria for being a child of Abraham. Abraham's children do the works of Abraham. Now, what does that mean? Well, we just saw this morning and at other times in recent weeks, while Abraham was far from a perfect man, while he was not justified by his works, when God did speak to Abraham, he received this word by faith, did what it required of him. Remember, Abraham believed, and that was accounted to him as righteousness. When God told Abram to go forth from his country in Genesis 12, he did it. When God told Abram that he would make a covenant with him and his descendants forever, again, Abram believed, and it was accounted as righteousness. When God told Abraham to circumcise all of those in his house, which was a pretty big ask, he believed it, and he did it. Contrast that with the picture of these Pharisees in John. All throughout, Jesus has come to them. He has told them the truth. He has taught them the word of God, the word of the Father that he came to reveal to the world. At no point have the Pharisees, with very few exceptions, we could think of Nicodemus as one example, but otherwise at no point have the Pharisees heeded his word. They have at every turn sought to oppose him, to discredit him, to turn the people against him, and they are now even conspiring to kill him. These are not the works of Abraham. This is not the response of faith that the children of God have to God's word. 
these people show that they have another father. But when Jesus confronts them with this reality, they go for something of a cheap shot. They say, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Now, this is a cheap shot because it is recalling the false narrative about Jesus' birth. We know that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was conceived in Mary's womb before she and Joseph wed by a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. But those who do not believe in God's revelation think that this did not happen, that Jesus was conceived and born in scandal. And they drag this up once again to try to discredit Jesus and to make themselves appear superior. You are some illegitimate child of scandal. We are children of God, they would say. But they are deceived. And Jesus confronts this deception starting in verse 42. If God were really their father, they would have loved Jesus and believed him and received him because Jesus is God and is from God. The children of God hear the voice of their father in Jesus' words because they are one and the same. But these Pharisees, these opponents of Jesus, they do not hear God's words because they are not his. They do not understand because they cannot understand because the faith to believe has not been granted to them. Their father is another, and Jesus names their father in verse 44. Their father is the devil. Their father is Satan. And this is reflected in what they do. They're not God's children because they do not do the works of God. They are not Abraham's children because they do not do the works that their father Abraham did. They are the devil's children because they do the works that the devil does. They lie and they murder. They lie about who their father is. They lie about their state of bondage. They believe that they are righteous and that Jesus is a blasphemer and a criminal. They conspire murder. They seek to put Jesus to death. These are the works of Satan. And Satan has always been a liar from the beginning of the world. In the garden, he incited Adam and Eve to fall by lying to them, by convincing them that they could be like God. And he did this to kill them. He did this to turn them away from God so that by their fall and sin, they would taste death and condemnation as he himself has. Satan has no hope. He only faces death and condemnation. And were it not for God's gracious intervention, that would have been their end. Satan is the father of lies. And all he has done from the beginning is attack and persecute God's people and God's truth and seek as much death and destruction and the advancement of lies as he can achieve. And this is on full display in the Pharisees' opposition to Jesus. They are doing the works of the father of lies. Therefore, Jesus says in verse 45, Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. They hate the truth because their father, the devil, hates the truth and wants to silence it. Now, this was not a peculiar situation in Jesus' day. Even now, in our world, we see an increase in hostility to the truth and the embrace of lies. The devil is very much still at work. 
We think that so many of the struggles we have against the world and against evil are battles of flesh and blood, but in fact, they are spiritual and demonic. It is demonic that people embrace false gods or insist on being their own gods. It is demonic that people not only embrace sin, but celebrate it and demand it be celebrated. It is demonic. It is the works of Satan that people believe and teach lies about the world God has made and our purpose within it. So Jesus asks in verse 46, which of this crowd convicts him of sin? He has done no sin. He has committed no wrong. Yet they seek to punish him as a criminal or worse. They do not believe him because they do not belong to God. And they prove this and that they do not hear the words of God that he teaches. This is the plight of the fallen sinful world. Those who do not belong to God are in slavery to sin and they are children of Satan. There is no neutrality. There is no middle ground. You belong to God or you belong to the devil. And the kingdom of God is at war with the kingdom of Satan. And the kingdom of Satan will lie and murder and deceive to advance its cause because that is what it does. But we should not be discouraged in this war. We get some of the reasons why in our final point. After autonomy and ancestry, we come to authority in verses 48 through 59. The Pharisees respond with a question, a loaded question. Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, these are not things that one would want to be. You could remember back from chapter 4 that Jesus went among the Samaritans for a time, and this was a rather strange and exceptional case because the Samaritans were the lowest of low in society. They were the treasonous half-breeds and they had no relations with the Jews. In the eyes of the Jews, to be a Samaritan was about the worst thing you could be. And not only do they accuse Jesus of being that, they say that he has a demon. Jesus has just called them out as demonic, as satanic as doing the works of their father, the devil, and their response is basically, no, you. Or, you know, you could think of the more juvenile version of this. I know you are, but what am I? It's almost that level of ridiculous that Jesus has called them out of being of the devil, and they just simply try to say, no, you are. Well, Jesus responds in verse 49. I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. They're trying to pivot to a personal attack on Jesus, but Jesus will not allow it. The issue is still their unbelief. They do not know God, and so they do not know Jesus. They are of their father, the devil, and so rather than believe and worship Jesus, they oppose him, they resist him. Jesus has come to reveal God. He has come to reveal the Father to the world. And he continues to say that he does not seek his own glory. See, the Pharisees are all about their own glory. They try to put forth humility, but it's false humility. They are the teachers of Israel. They are the authorities. They want to be a law unto themselves. But Jesus is there to point them to God. 
the one who judges. Though Jesus is worthy of all glory, he does not seek his own glory. He is God in the flesh, but his purpose is to point people to the Father. And Jesus offers a glory that the Pharisees cannot. He says so in verse 51. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. To belong to the Father and to receive the word of Christ is to have eternal life. That is the truth of the gospel. That is the truth of God's kingdom coming. But it is on these words that Jesus' opponents think they've got him. They again go back to Abraham. They say, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead in the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Now the facts of the matter are correct. Abraham was dead. Moses was dead. All the other prophets of the Old Testament by this time were dead. And here's this guy who thinks he can overcome death and offer deliverance from death that even these great men of old cannot. And so they ask a question in verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Now this is one of those questions that asks and answers more than it intends. Because they would ask this question clearly expecting a negative answer. Are you greater than Abraham? Nobody's greater than Abraham. This is madness because they are of their father, the devil, they cannot receive the word of God because Jesus is greater than Abraham. We saw just this morning and we'll continue to see how many things Abraham saw and did and experienced that point to greater realities that have come in Christ. Abraham was a great man. He was a man of faith, but he was just a man. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God in the flesh. We saw even last week how the angel of the Lord, who could be none other than God himself, appeared to Hagar at the well in the wilderness. Very likely the pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus knows Abraham because he was there. And this is the truth. He tells the truth. And the people who do not belong to God do not believe and cannot believe. And Jesus answers the question accordingly. He does not honor himself. His purpose in his incarnation and in his work is to show forth the glory of God and to deliver God's people from their sins. This is the God that the people there gathered at the temple claim to know and claim to worship, but clearly they do not. But Jesus does know him. Jesus has perfect Trinitarian fellowship with the Father. He and he alone knows the Father as he is. He knows Abraham. And he knows Abraham's God because he is Abraham's God revealed to the world. And he cannot testify otherwise. If he did, he would be lying. The Pharisees can be mad. They can make accusations all they want, but at the end of the day, Jesus' words are certainly true. And he knows they are true because they are the words of God. And he knows what is true of Abraham because he knows Abraham. He says in verse 56, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, 
and he saw it and was glad. See, Abraham eventually died. But when he died, he entered into rest with Jesus Christ. Jesus came from the place where Abraham has gone. Jesus came from heaven. But the Pharisees, again, cannot and will not believe. They can only dwell on their earthly things. They say, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Now, another question that they would think demands a negative answer. You can't know Abraham. He lived centuries ago. He is dead. But Jesus can only testify what is true. Before Abraham was, I am. This is Jesus' clearest claim to divinity yet. When God appeared in the Old Testament, he appeared as Yahweh, the I am, the God who is. And Jesus very clearly and explicitly here connects the I am to himself. He is I am. He is God. He is Yahweh come into their midst. He is Alpha and Omega. He is and was and is to come. He is greater than Abraham. He is the one Abraham knew by faith and worshipped. And he is the one that the Pharisees should worship and are called to worship. But many do not worship this Christ. In verse 59, we see yet again the response of unbelief. They are again convinced that Jesus is a liar and that he is a blasphemer. And they even make an attempt on his life. They take up stones and they're ready to use them. They're ready to kill him right then and there. But Jesus' time has not yet come. And so he hid himself and departed. So what are we to make of this text? Well, we have seen very clearly revealed to us what the Pharisees and what many in our day most want suppressed. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is I am. Jesus is greater than Abraham and the one to whom Abraham and all of Scripture looked and pointed. You can belong to Jesus Christ with God as your father, or you can belong to the devil. Again, there's no other options. There is no neutrality. There is no happy medium. You have heard tonight the words of God. You have heard the words of Christ. And Christ has told you that whoever keeps his word will never see death. Jesus Christ was God come in the flesh, and he did this to save his people from their sins. He lived the perfect life no one else has and died the death that we all deserved for our sin and rebellion against him. He was raised up from the dead and he conquered sin and death. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You will go to where he and Abraham and all of the saints before have gone. But if you don't, you are of your father, the devil. You belong to Satan. And you will go where Satan goes, into eternal condemnation in the fires of hell forever. Those are the only options. Those are the only outcomes. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Receive him by faith. Or don't and die in your sins. Be given over to your father, the devil, 
to bondage and misery and eternal death. This world is in darkness. Jesus is the light that has shone into the darkness. The gospel has come to us. It has come to you even here tonight. Will you believe? Will you hear? May we all believe and all hear. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you have revealed to us. These words of life, even as they confront our sin, as they confront the misery of the world, they confront the works of the devil that are so present in so much of what we see. And yet I pray that by your spirit, that your gospel would continue to go forth. I pray that all here gathered would believe and have the hope and confidence and comfort that this gospel brings. And that in light of this gospel glory, we would be faithful to take Christ to a lost and dying world. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.